Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now again here to spare you a bad impression of a person that would seem real racist so instead you get me old e martin the boys are back in town today and we're gonna watch a whole new movie been a while since they've seen a new movie that uh, from the list to talk about but this time they're gonna get right into it we watched gandhi last time but this one's a whole new different kettle of fish friends that's what they say down here in these pots are you from Louisiana, Dean? I don't know. I drank a lot tonight, so I don't know what quite how it happened to my accent. But, you know, when you drink things like that, that happens. So, whoo! Give me a sec. Oh, there we go. Down the yeah, house. old Dino's back in town. So what they're going to do today is they're going to watch a movie that I think you boys are going to like. It's called Hamlet. Y'all ever see Hamlet? I don't know why I'm saying y'all. I never said y'all in life. <laughs> I don't even know who you're asking. Oh, boy. You kids are going to like this movie. This is something else. Uh, Larry, Olivia, and I, well, we used to do some fun times back in the day. They'd come on over from England, and we would just go crazy. So, uh, why don't you guys enjoy this movie? Hamlet is about a couple of cool rocking cats. Hamlet, and Ophelia, and then there's, there's a whole ghost in there. So, check it out. Enjoy it. I'll see you later. It's old Dino Martin signing off. <laughs> Have fun, bro. Well, that was uh, that was an intro. I think he's on his way to the Copa. Copa Cabana, the hottest spot north of Havana. We're back. Uh, well, I mean, we're back, but we're back to the list. We're back. We're back to the real work of this podcast. To mm. The meat, the potatoes, the veggies, the veggies. The it's all fry. it's all combined into one big plate, and we're going to chow it down today. Delicious British ice cream. Mm-hmm. And this and this bit of of stinky old British cheese has been aged for flavor, Frank, because it's a it's a it's a seventy plus year old movie. Uh, based on a play that's over 500 years old. Maybe not that old, Dean, but pretty you, close. D- D- oh, Dean Martin Burton just came back. He's possessing me. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> History's smartest monster. Uh, yeah, I gotta get out of here. Oh, uh, 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 uh. I'm good. Oh, that was, uh, guys, you may have heard that and been confused. I had to witness that. It was it was a visual feast. Well, if it looked if it looked half as bad for you as it felt for me, then oh boy, what did I'm a what happened? Bit, I'm a little bit turned on. Oh, well, can we just move forward? Sure. All right. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this is a podcast about British film. It is called For Screen. And Country. And we look at the British Film Institute, top 100 British films of all time. We have done about 38 of these bad boys now. And, you know, some other fun little side episodes, some side mm-hmm. quests. 
as uh, an RPG fan might say. Absolutely. We got to keep it mixed up. We got to do them side quests. We got to grind out XP. And when we get to level 100, we don't have to do this shit anymore. Wah! Oh, wah! That's the song, right? Yeah. That's down with the sickness. You got it. Down with the sickness. Down with the sickness. Down with the sickness. Down with the sickness. So, of course, as you're probably wondering now, well, why the fuck aren't they talking about British film? It's because we like to waste time. That's right. That's what we're here for, folks. We're here to fill your ears and make your day go just a little bit quicker. So, we are back to the list. We did have a little bit of an excursion with our Brit picks. And Jason rolled last week, and he rolled number (laughs) 69, Up top, my brother! But before we talk about Hamloot, we've got something else to talk about first. Yes, we're going to read some comments, some concerns, some registered complaints from... Wait, we have a complaints department? We do, actually. Um, I've been running it on the side. Well, thank goodness, because I really have no desire to do that (laughs) at all. I deal with that every day at work. Can you imagine? I would not. Yeah, that'd be terrible. Uh, So we took some comments about uh, last week's film, Gandhi. Uh, Our first comment is from Thomas Blick, and he says... He's actually quoting uh, Mark uh, Mark Kermode, a uh, prominent UK film critic, who said this about uh, said this about Sir Ben Kingsley: "When he's good, he's great. When he's bad, he's Gandhi." Thomas, <laughs> Thomas Blake added, "I don't think he's a fan personally. I don't think I've ever sat through the whole film, so I can't really judge it. <laughs> it is a long, it is a long haul. That that so that's kind of wild because that's like um, that's totally opposite of my view of that movie. Yeah, Mark Kermode is like he's terrible as Gandhi." <laughs> As a white man watching uh, uh, this performance, I think it's very good, but I'm willing to concede that I may very well be wrong. I mean, it's your personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, maybe he he doesn't play a good Indian. Maybe. I don't know. But our next comment is from uh, Matt Stillman. Stilled. Distillman. He's <laughs> yeah. He likes it. He likes the. He likes to tip it up top. If you know what I'm saying. He could be a recovering alcoholic. I mean, yes, I suppose. Matt Stillman is free and clear, and Matt says, I saw it in high school when it was released. I thought it was over at intermission. I may not have been the target audience for Gandhi. Uh, You forgot the last part of that comment? Smiley face. Thank you. That was very important. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Not exactly a teen-friendly movie, uh, unless you're going there just to, to, to make out and then have, you know, Second base, mm-hmm. and then third base, and then round the plate to home, okay. and then maybe get back to first one more time. And then what if you go into extra innings? Well, that's a whole different conversation altogether, but let me assure you it is possible in the course of this long-ass movie. You, you, okay, Jason, that is unnecessary. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, just got, I got heated. You're getting, getting crazy. Um, Anita Chansey just says, I've always loved this film. And I understand why. Um, and then I'm going to read this next one because okay. that one was very short. All right. But uh, Adam Pellman says, uh, our old friend Adam Pellman, the Pelster. He's back. Pe- Adam Pelster from Gremlins. Always happy to hear from you, Adam. Uh, says, I've only seen it once. And I remember thinking it was very good, but not great. I think that whatever one feels about the film, it's hard to deny the, de- to deny the impact of Kingsley's performance. I would imagine that for a lot of people who've seen the film, it's difficult to separate Gandhi, the historical figure from Gandhi, as portrayed by Ben Kingsley in the film. Yeah, in in, in the same way T.E. Lawrence is probably hard to separate from uh, Peter O'Toole, especially, you know, these are guys that, 
came up in a time where you didn't have cameras jammed in your face 24-7. You know, there's only so much existing footage of these real people. I mean, Gandhi, certainly there's more of, say, than, than T.E. Lawrence, but, you know, it's, it's these movies around. that live on. That live that make these images live on. Cameras were around for centuries, but they weren't in everybody's fucking pocket, Brendan. Cameras have been around since the 1400s. Yes, that's why we have those wonderful pictures of Charlemagne. Mm-hmm. Mm. Not painted. Nope. Photographs. Not shaken. Not stirred. Not all real. Mm. Our next comment is from Sharon. Horwitt, another name I recognize. Good Sharon. to hear from you, Sharon. Sharon! Gandhi is another one of those movies on the BFI list that my dad absolutely adores, and I don't blame him. It's a dad movie. It, it is. It, Gandhi's got a mustache. It's absolutely a dad movie. <coughs> that's that's my definition. If the main character has a mustache, it's a dad movie, which means a lot of Tom Selleck movies outside of that one where he played Eisenhower are dad movies. Bridge on the River Kwai is a dad movie. Absolutely. Um, I, but how do, you, how do you work out in your head Lawrence of Arabia then? Mm, but there are mustaches in Lawrence of Arabia. Omar Sharif has a mustache, and he's quite prominent in the film. Alec Guinness has a mustache. That is true. He's a beard, actually. And uh, nothing done to his skin whatsoever. Nothing. Absolutely natural. What's the next one say, Jason? Uh, Victoria Stewart says, I saw it when it came out, and I was really angry at my parents because I didn't want to see a dumb movie about Gandhi. I was about 12, so I was salty. Surly. I was surly and salty. But I remember being won over and really moved by it. Also that year was A Passage to India, which had the glorious young Judy Davis, maybe also on the BFI, which was excellent. It's not. It's not on the BFI. I've never seen it. No, that's another. That was David Lean's last movie, I think. I think so. Yeah. I, yeah, I've not seen it either. Critically successful, but not to the uh, extent of his, some of his it's, bigger movies. You don't usually hear it in the same conversation as Lawrence of Arabia it didn't or, have the or same, even a Gandhi. It didn't resonate no. as much as Lawrence, for sure. Mm. Um, well, thanks, Victoria. Yeah, Appreciate the comments. Uh, I, I, yes, probably not the best movie for being, if you're 12 years old. But hey, good, good on you for getting into it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's cool. I love when that happens, when you see a movie that you don't expect to like and it just totally grabs you. Cuthbert J. Twilly. Okay, that's not a real name. That is, I, yes. <laughs> Damn it, it is. All right, well, then let's assume it is Mr. We'll, Twilly. We'll do it live. All right, we'll do it live. He says, Kingsley is great. Mm. Uh, the movie is good, but too long. My favorite comment about Gandhi came from Rex Reed, who I normally am not a fan of. He said that E.T. should have won Best Picture, but that Gandhi won because it's good for you, quote, like cough medicine. Mm. Do you, whenever you hear the name Rex Reed, do you think either Rex Harrison or uh, Rex Murphy? No, I think Rex Reed because I recoil because I despise that guy. <laughs> He's one of the worst critics. Uh, I mean, besides Armand White, okay. he is one of the worst critics I've ever read. Who did he write for? Is he still alive? Do you do you know Armand White? Are you not familiar Either. with No, Armand? I'm not familiar with these two people. Armand White is the guy that like says that Transformers Age of the Fallen is like a fucking masterpiece, hmm. whereas Wolf of Wall Street doesn't have the same heart. Hmm. He literally any any you look at you look at his I'm not saying that you know you have to like everything that everyone no, likes but it not. almost looks like a troll level job you know? <laughs> like everything that's rotten is a fresh from Armand. He's the guy that he wants to have his name on a movie and he's willing to put it on any movie that will have his uh, name on it. He is also the same gentleman who went to a uh, who attended a. Um, and this awards or something, mm. but the director of Twelve Years a Slave won an award, and Armand White got up and yelled at him, and then left. <laughs> That's ballsy. <laughs> yeah. Who, who do you think you are winning awards for good movies, asshole? And then, and then he got kicked off like the critics panel, and then denied every yelling. At wow. Him. Wow. So, uh, what's the last one say there, Jason? I'm gonna give that one to you. All right, Ashley Riddle or Ashley Riddell. 
if uh, we were in Nova Scotia, I might say it Riddell. Oh, Ashley Riddell, yes. That's I don't know some, why I'm sounding like a doofy now. Oh, oh, Ashley Riddell, yes, from over in Conception Bay, Newfoundland. What are you talking about there, bye? Yes, bye. Uh, a fantastic performance in a sadly pedestrian movie. Kingsley is a treasure, never afraid of genre movies, and should be as beloved as Sir Ian McKellen. I assume that's the McKellen she's talking about. She just wrote McKellen, so it could be any McKellen. It could be Don McKellar. It could be, yeah, it could be mistakenly, <laughs> autocorrect could have fucked her over. And she's talking about Don McKellar for some reason. <laughs> I mean, I like Don McKellar, don't get me wrong. Last Night is a fantastic movie. Listen, guys, if you didn't think you were going to get a Don McKellar reference eventually, you were wrong. Folks, yeah, you, you, you understand that as Canadians, we are required by law to mention Don McKellar at least once in the process of talking about movies, and we are due. We are due for our Don McKellar reference. Yeah, we've had 38 to 76 episodes. So yeah, we've had we, don't want, we don't want the CRTC coming after us with fines because we didn't have the proper amount of Don McKellar CanCon. I don't know if that's actually what it is, but I love that you've abbreviated to CanCon. <laughs> yeah, CanCon, Canadian content. Oh, I get it. I yeah. get it. No, that's a real thing. That's what they call it. Oh, okay. You dummy. Wow. I'm secretly Bermudan. Oh. Um, no, I can't do that. It's 2019. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, just wait, I'm just waiting for the accent. So, Jason, I just wanted to read some of those, those comments. Just kind of uh, an over, overwhelming thing of like either the movie was good. Mm-hmm. Or at least Ben Kingsley was great, and yeah. then of course, you know, Mark Kermode not on the same not on the same page with that. Mark Kermode, of course, messaged me directly and wanted me to include that quote. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, you're a great uh, gentleman and a, a great reviewer. Appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, no, I I think I agree with the, the assertion that yeah, the movie's kind of pedestrian. But yeah, ultimately, the it's just man, I just love Ben Kingsley in this movie and in just about everything he's in, even the bad stuff. He's don't great. backtrack. You supported it. Supported I, I still this support movie. it, but I see. I, I understand that. Yeah. Yes, you understand. And the criticism, but you don't necessarily Lawrence, agree Lawrence with is it. a better movie, but man, Ben but Kingsley's so fucking good. Gandhi is a better song. It's a band, I bet. Mm-hmm. Is there a band called... Uh, there's a band called Propagandi. That's amazing. Yeah. They're, they're Ladies like, and gentlemen, coming into the studio. <laughs> I saw them at the cellar one night, many years ago. And another local reference. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, okay, well, the, we, the last thing we do here, guys, we haven't done in a while because yeah. we've been doing Brit picks for a while. Uh, but the last thing we usually do is we do a little comparison. So we take a look at the American Film Institute list uh, and we compare it to the British one. Ladies and gentlemen, Gandhi was number four. Uh, sorry, Gandhi was number 34 mm-hmm. on the BFI. And on the American Film Institute, the number 34 film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Ooh. I am going to have to go with Snow White. That is a, that is a kind of an iconic Disney achievement you're right um hmm, that's a tough one because you're right it is an absolutely an iconic disney achievement uh and the restored version of that movie looks fa- fantastic it's a great movie it is a good movie uh i i gotta give it to gandhi on this one though just because ben kingsley's performance is so strong that oh. i will sit through three hours of this even though snow white and the seven dwarves is about blissful 90 minutes or less I imagine. oh it's like 80 yeah maybe <laughs> It's, uh, I recently watched, well, not that long ago, but I recently watched that a while ago and, uh, you recently watched it a while ago. Yeah, you, you know, I've, I've had a long day. <laughs> um, I watched it a while ago and, uh, it's a lot darker and more twisted than yeah. I remembered. Oh yeah. That um, witch is evil. Yeah. There's a lot of fucked up shit. Mm. Old Disney. Check it out. So that'll do it for that. Uh, now we should talk about this week's film. Jason. Song of the South. I mean, no, not Song of the South. What are we you're, watching? You're close. Uh, Hamlet. Oh, right. Okay. Hamlet, 
So those dulcet tones can only mean one thing. A black and white production of Shakespeare's Hamlet. Hamlet, nothing but Hamlet. Loving his mother, maybe too much. But hey, how about that Claudius cat? (laughs) Yeah, so this is 1948's Hamlet starring our uh, friend from uh, Henry V, Sir Lawrence Olivier. I don't know if he was a knight at this point, but... It's safe um, to assume. I think when he came out of the womb, I'm pretty sure they put a sword near his head, and his he mother knighted. was like, whoa, what are you doing to my baby? <laughs> he shall be a knight of the green. Yeah, because, I mean, there was a, a serial killer at the time going around just cutting off babies' heads, and the mother was like, I mean, naturally, she naturally. Was like, what are you doing with my child? That's that's a, but that's a well-known Hollywood fact, and we're not here to talk about well-known Hollywood facts. We're here to talk right. about films. That's, from Britain. That's a uh, that that's that just as widely accepted as the Richard Gere gerbil story. Absolutely, one hundred percent, totally accurate. Well, Jason, this is our sha- uh, second Shakespeare film. We've this is our shit spear. Is our that what sh- you were going to say? Well, <laughs> let's get into the critics, shall we? <laughs> They're booing Shakespeare. Shakespeare, more like shit spear. <laughs> more, more like Shakespeare, more like shit smear. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, great. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> what I was going to say, what I was trying to say, is this is our second Shakespeare film we've talked mm-hmm. about. Uh, and I just want to get into some of the people that are Question. in this. We will talk about who's in it. Question, okay. though, uh, is, are there any other Shakespeare adaptations on the list that I'm not aware of? Just this and Henry V. No Romeo and Juliet, no nope. Caesar, no. Nope. Okay. So let's get into who's in this movie because this is a who's who of, of people that... A lot of them we've talked about before. These these quite a few. these are Times sexiest people, nineteen forty eight. <laughs> this is like the BFI. This is like the first screen and country all star cast. Absolutely. So I mean, there's a few here that we haven't never seen for the first so time. So Larry Olivier, number one. We have Lawrence Olivier as Hamlet, top of the bill, top of the cast list. Yeah, we have Norman Wooland as Horatio, mm. Eileen Hurley as Gertrude, uh, the mother, who by the way, the actress is twenty nine uh, to Lawrence Olivier's forty years old. <laughs> yeah, I noticed there was a bit of a discrepancy there. <laughs> uh, Bas- Basil Sidney is playing Claudius. Gene Simmons, we've mm-hmm. talked about many times. Of Kiss fame, yes. Uh, sure. <laughs> as Ophelia. I'd love to see that version of the band. <laughs> uh, Felix Aylmer as Polonius. Mm-hmm. Uh, Esmond Knight. Our old boy, from also from Henry V. And uh, he was wait, he was in Blackface in, uh, in uh, Black Narcissist? Brownface. Brownface. Come on, let's be appropriate. <laughs> Let's let's, let's 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 describe his face of uh, his level of darkness appropriately. Yeah, let's let's not be let's not be disrespectful to yes, his level of racism. Absolutely, I mean, not Esmond Knight's, Knight's racism. Mm. It was it was a lot of factors. It was a lot of factors. So Esmond Knight is playing Bernardo, John Laurie as Francisco, and Jason. Do you know what John Laurie? What movie John Laurie was in that we talked about? Uh, no. He was in. He was the abusive husband in the Thirty Nine Steps. Oh. Oh, yeah. So neat. he has a little bit of a small role here. Anthony Quayle as Marcellus. Anthony Quayle was in uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Cushing. Yes, is Grand Moff Tarkin himself. Osric. As, as the foppiest of fops, Osric. That's who that is? Yeah. Okay, I was wondering. Yeah. Stanley Holloway, a.k.a. the lead actor of Passport to Pimlico. And if you're a musical fan like I am, uh, played Alfred Doolittle in uh, My Fair Lady, the Rex Harrison uh, version. Stanley yeah. Holloway did? Stanley Holloway did, okay, absolutely. Well, he is playing the very important character of Gravedigger. Yep. Uh, 
Christopher Lee plays a guard in this movie. I didn't even see him, but he's there. He doesn't he's, say anything. I didn't see him either, but I... I, I am a god. Is. And and this one I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate. I, I'm not... I've never watched a single episode, but Patrick Troughton plays the Player King, and he's actually one of the actors that portrayed Doctor Who over the years. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah. He's like the third or fourth I knew that. Doctor. I think he was the second Doctor, actually. Okay. I See, may be wrong, but Doctor Who fans, I know you're out there, and I know you'll correct you me. You may be wrong, but I may be crazy. <laughs> but... Just came me lunatic looking Are you looking for a lunatic? What's wrong with you, Jason? Why would you ever want to find a lunatic? Alright, turn out the lights. <laughs> Don't try to save me. Uh, you may be wrong. And it's all night long, but you may be right. I don't know how that fucking song goes. You know goes. what? You need to learn the lyrics. Ooh. So Jason, let's 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 talk about Hamlet. Why don't you like I mean, we we kind of all know what Hamlet is most of us, but why don't you kind of like us briefly sum it up very briefly in a nice tight little bow. So Hamlet is the Prince of Denmark. Naturally. And before the play, his father has passed away. Mm-hmm. And his uncle Claudius quickly married his uh, Hamlet's mother, the queen, and took over as the king of Denmark. Two months. Two months Yeah, later. two months. It's a pretty quick thing. Um, so early in the movie, Hamlet discovers, uh, through an encounter with his father's ghost, that he was actually murdered and uh, by Claudius, who put mm-hmm. poison in his ear. And so the movie is, or the movie, the play, the story is basically Hamlet trying to get his uh, uh, revenge for uh, his father's death mm-hmm. on the king. And But it just keeps going on and on and on. But that's Shakespeare for you. It just kind of keeps going on and on and on. And you're getting Jason's opinion right at the top. <laughs> yeah. And then nothing against Hamlet, but uh, yeah, it just kind of goes on. And... Um, yeah, so Ham- and eventually Hamlet tries to get his revenge, but of course it's a tragedy, right? So everybody fucking dies. Mm. Hamlet gets poisoned, and then he kills Laertes, and I'm pretty sure the king's head explodes at some point. Uh, uh, I think that's what happens. Did you watch the McBain version of Hamlet? I might have. <laughs> <laughs> Rainier Wolf Castle was fantastic. Um, one thing I found about, I did a little bit of research about this movie, because mm. I was uh, struggling to write mm. stuff down while I watched it. But I will say that uh, what I found was really interesting. This, this this is the actual. This is actually the first sound version on film of Hamlet in English. This is what I figured. Yeah. So yeah. there was a sound, one sound version of this previously in India, and it was called Kun Ka Kun. You can't say that anymore. That's not what that means. <laughs> Um, but this version was uh, very close to this to the source material, mm-hmm. uh, but it's kind of been become lost to time. So it came out in 1935, and it wasn't a box office success. And then um, there is actually um, it actually got added to a list of the most wanted cinema treasures of the National Film Archive of India. Hmm. This is one of their things that they just like they wish they still kind of had the lost film. Yeah, it's kind of like some of the really really early Hitchcock stuff that is nowhere to be found anymore. And basically, what this film was is a filmed version of a stage play yeah so, so this the, the the indian version the indian production of hamlet was not really like a movie it was just the play well and this this version kind of is that too kind of but kind it's of. very it, cinematic it is cinematic but it is filmed in such a way that it's filmed very simply uh, uh there are a few kind of neat establishing shots of the castle and stuff mm-hmm. but basically you can i mean this whole movie was filmed basically on a sound stage with a lot of fog yeah and it works a lot of fog. it works for the aesthetic of the movie absolutely mm-hmm. um but yeah i feel and and there's some really cool camera work in this that you would not expect if you were just filming a stage play very citizen kane-esque like a lot of like deep focus uh uh, deep focus like cinematography yeah deep deep focus low angles like really getting really doing the whole frame as a painting thing in a lot of shots I, there's a shot in the movie where um, Hamlet confronts Laertes at 
Ophelia's burial mm-hmm. after Ophelia has committed suicide by jumping in the river. Um, and just the how the shot is laid out, how your eye is drawn along it with Hamlet and, and Horatio in the foreground and in the background. You've got all the, the mourners gathered for the funeral and the priests and everything. It's just such a beautiful piece of like cinema shot. Like, yeah. Really well composed. And there's a lot of shots like that throughout well, the, the movie. And, that, and that's one thing we should say right off the top because, I mean, obviously we're going to dive into this a little bit, yeah. but above everything else, this film is beautifully shot. Oh, absolutely. It, it looks... It looks gorgeous. It, it has an aesthetic very reminiscent, actually, of uh, Scrooge. Uh, yeah. Very lot, dark black and white. Very nice black and white cinematography. Foreboding. Um, a lot of, like, I don't know. I, I Okay, so I saw a movie. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I've certainly heard of it, but I've okay. never seen it. So it's, like, one of those, like, German expressionist movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, so there's lots of, like, like sharp edges to the mm. to the scenery there's big shadows there's darkness there's fog and i got a lot of that from this movie and caligari predates this by about you know 13, 15 years or so oh because didn't they make a version of that with christopher lee or peter cushing much later in the hammer days but the original version was like before this yeah, for okay. sure um but i got a lot of vibes of that like it's using that german expressionist style um to kind of cast like the shadows on the mm. walls and like the this even some of the sets like I, the, some of the sets look really bare, but mm. it, it kind of adds to it. It kind of yeah. adds to the feeling of like despair and loneliness. Like every time Hamlet's in a room, mm-hmm. if he's not there with anyone else, or even if he is, I feel like there's so much empty space. You kind of feel how like empty he is. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he yeah. just feels like empty. Yeah, empty, very empty. And this is the the approach this whole movie takes. It's a very personal approach to Hamlet, to mm-hmm. his story. Because this is like like many versions of Hamlet. This is a, a an edited version of Hamlet because Hamlet yeah. if you put it on it takes at least 4 hours. Yeah, this the, is two and a half hours, which yeah. is already fairly long for a it's, movie. It's it it feels it. Um but, but it's yeah. not f- but the whole play is what four? About four, yeah. yeah. You can get it. You can get it in four. You, I bet you. I bet you a lot of productions have just extended it out to five. They'd have a lot of fucking around. But yeah, so this is a cut version of the play. And one of the things about this, and what often other versions of the play do, is is they cut the. Uh, there's a subplot in the original play about uh, Fortinbras, who yep. is the king of Norway, and his invasion or pen, or looming invasion of um, of Denmark. And that's, you know, it's a big part of the play. But you can usually get rid of it dramatically and still have a, a story. But when you do that, it takes a lot of the, it takes all the political context out of the play. Like contemporary political context of like an invasion and, and dealing with all this. And it focuses much more on Hamlet himself and his journey to uh, uh, revenge himself upon. Well, and you, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually one of the biggest sticking points critics had with this movie when it first came out. Mm. So, I mean, as much as it is kind of admired as this classic British film adaptation of Shakespeare now, mm. at the time it was kind of mixed. So yeah, because pe- people who were fans of the play would have wanted to see the play, yeah. I imagine. So there were some people that were like pretty upset that the... I mean, there were, okay, so I should say there weren't a lot of people upset about cutting out the Fort, Fortinbras. Because that's subplot. a common thing to cut out. Well, here's the thing, though. It wasn't at the time. No. So when he cut this, it wasn't common to cut it out for quite a while because every other kind of adaptation for quite a while was actually shorter than this version and kept that in. So a lot of people started to notice that and be like, well, why wouldn't Olivier keep that subplot? I feel like you might be confusing that with, with the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern aspect. Well, yeah, Ford, Ford and Brass, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, but, but Rosencrantz and and Guildenstern specifically, uh, were cut from this version. And there's been argument that, um, uh, and then there's been argument that there was no real reason to get rid of them because they don't really add all that much time to the play anyways. Mm-hmm. And other shorter versions have had both those characters in them. Okay, well, maybe that's what I mean. But, yeah, it, but either either way, I'm, I, 
people took notice of that they would later yes. on after so many shorter adaptations that come out that kept those characters and yeah. they said well why would olivier want to and then you know lawrence's uh lawrence we're on we're on first name yeah terms. obviously uh he was quoted as saying you know one great whacking cut had to be made so he said i'd cut fortinbras i cut rosencrantz i cut guildenstern he tried to tighten this movie up and mm-hmm. i mean it's hamlet so tightening up hamlet means it's two and a half hours yeah exactly <laughs> exactly uh, and like uh, there's a lot of a lot of other things uh, a lot of Shakespeare purists um, dislike this movie because of like you said there's a lot of cuts from the play um, even this critic who did like the movie this critic named Milton Shulman basically said in his review hey I really like this movie Olivier is great but people are going to be put off by how mm. many changes were made and this was a contemporary review this yeah. was at the time of it coming out um, and also a lot of the big one of the big things though one of the big criticisms is kind of this opening narration. So I want to play a little clip from this. Mm. The last line he says was harshly criticized. So we'll talk about it after we listen to it here. So oft it chances, in particular men, that through some vicious mold of nature in them, by the o'ergrowth of some complexion, oft breaking down the pales and forts of reason, or by some habit, grown too much, that these men, carrying, I say, the stamp of one defect, their virtues else be they as pure as grace, shall in the general censure take corruption from that particular fault. This is the tragedy of a man who could not make up his mind. So a lot of people felt that that that, lo- that last line, this is this tragedy of a man who could not make up his mind, was very like simplified. Mm. And they thought like, well, that's a lot of people said that's not really what it's about. Like, there's a lot more going on than just some guy like I don't know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so that 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 was I think the biggest criticism besides all the cuts was that Olivier kind of boils it down to like he just. He just kind of doesn't know what to do about everything. Well, I mean, it, is it possible that Olivier, just being British and, and uh, an actor, was a bit of an elitist and he thought he had to lay it out that uh, that simply for people to know what they were getting themselves into with all the fancy talking? That's possible. I also thought maybe it's a studio decision. Because you know, I mean, we've watched enough movies to know watching an entire movie and then seeing something be like, mm, that seemed over-explained. Yeah. And then watching the rest, we know that that's usually a studio interference. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Lawrence Olivier in 1948, I mean, sure, he had done already done Henry V. Which but, was a movie that also had its own substantial cuts. I mean, it was turned into a, like a war propaganda yeah. movie, right? Yeah. So, But I mean, maybe we should get back to the uh, to the look of the film a little bit, because I do want to talk about um, some of some of the shots. Well, I mean, we talked about some of the shots. I want the one that really stood out to me was there's a there's a moment where he said he says the line, of course, the plays the thing with I'll catch the conscience of the king yeah. is when he's going to put on that fake play or yeah. that play with a murder he changed the lines a little bit and he changed the, the way the the king is murdered in the play to be exactly like how he's he was told that claudius killed his father mm. while he says that line though after he says the line there's like a spotlight on him yeah right right as he says it and that's a totally like like that's not a natural thing you know no. what i mean like a lot of this stuff it seems very naturalistic and there's that for, weird out of nowhere spotlight yeah it's, <laughs> it's kind of cool it's like yeah. it's almost like it's on a stage exactly it's, it's highlighting that so fact. it's it's cool I will tell you one thing that I really liked about this movie. Yes. As, and something that I fucking hated in Henry V, both mm-hmm. versions. Sure. During the soliloquies, yeah. it is in their fucking heads. Yeah. 
They're not saying it out loud. They're not saying it out loud five feet away from someone who would hear them and, and maybe say, what, what the fuck's that crazy person doing? Mm-hmm. And I know it's Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I know that in Shakespeare they say it out loud and that's that's in the original plays. But in movies, it doesn't make sense. But in the, um, you'll notice too, in the To Be or Not To Be speech, he does begin speaking it out loud. And some then of transitions into inner monologue. But it, may, it felt more real to mm-hmm. me that some of that would be like him being like, you know, muttering to himself and then the rest of it's in his head. Yeah. Because we do that. People talk. We talk oh, yeah. to ourselves. Absolutely. And, and, and what I also want to say about this is that uh, another positive thing I can say about this movie specifically is that when you see good Shakespeare, like like done by good Shakespeare actors, the thing that really stands out to me when if you compare how that goes to maybe a high school production is that when you... When you hear the actors speaking the lines, you can tell they truly understand what they're saying. Yeah. They're truly aware of what they're saying and how to say it and, and saying it in the right way. And and even if sometimes the words go over your head, tone can do so much. And I, I respect their abilities in that. And other Shakespeare we've seen too. I mean, even in, in Henry V and and, um, and and the remake. like The, the remake. The remake of Henry V. The remake v. of Olivia's yeah. original Mount Exactly. <laughs> the reboot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but even those, like... like Sometimes sound, especially in, in Brenna's version, sound they sound very naturalistic, despite delivering this very old timey dialogue in a very specific, you know, iambic pentameter. It, mm-hmm. it comes across sounding very naturalistic, and I I respect the hell out of anybody that can do that because I can't fucking do that. No, and and a lot of it, and I'm I'm gonna be frank with everyone right now. A lot of it, some of it did go over my head. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had the thing with Shakespeare. And I know I've talked about this when we've talked about Shakespeare before. I find the dialogue very hard to parse because yeah, you're listening it to it, you're watching it, and at the same time you're trying to figure out what they're actually saying. Yeah. And all those things going on at once, I miss stuff. I, I look away and I look back up and I'm I don't know what and, the hell's going on. And if on. you think about if you think about for a sec, like how Shakespeare wrote these plays, and what you think like so for these plays were like popular plays of the day. So he was writing in a way that people would understand using pop culture references that people got, uh, cultural references, things like that. Um, and and but and then also cramming it into this specific iambic pentameter format so you have to imagine that even to the ears of people of the day sometimes lines were going to sound weird because he would have had to word them in a specific way to fill out the iambic pentameter kind of the the cadence that he needed for the way he wrote the play Mm -hmm. so it it, sometimes it probably would have been weird to their ears to hear certain words and certain phrases in certain ways and then for us we're 500 years removed from that it's it's just it's even weirder you know so are you saying that Shakespeare was kind of like the McGee of his day? Yeah. Using it, pop culture absolutely. references? Absolutely. He so was totally McGee. If you could take away one thing from this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, it's that we are saying that Shakespeare is basically almost as good as McGee. Well, I guess what's to be seen is if uh, if I could have a time machine and jump ahead 500 years and see if McGee is as revered as Shakespeare it is today. I, w- I really hope so. It could very well happen. Terminator Salvation is hailed as history's greatest film. That's right. Hey, people of the future, if you're listening to this podcast about 500 years from now, long after we're turned to death, uh, uh, is McGee doing okay? I mean, I think by this point we're just heads in a jar. I think we're fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then if you, if you then let us know that you found this podcast because I'm sure we'll get a kick out of hearing it again. And, play, and press play for us because yeah. obvious reasons. Obviously, I like I like how a lot of this movie, um, like some of the techniques it uses. Uh, you notice when they when he when they see the ghost the first time and mm. they get kind of the heartbeat going and the camera's like like kind of the focus is moving in and out yeah. and it's like kind of blurring like that was a really cool really cool technique especially for 1948 to really drive home you know tension and suspense and, and fear right and the, the visuals of the ghost are really cool the mm. audio that they that the, the audio techniques are cool too actually I have a little bit of a, of that ghost uh, the ghost making its appearance we want to take a listen no I don't okay oh fine play it for the people then <laughs> 
speak, I'll go no further. Bark me. I will. I am thy father's spirit, doomed for a certain time to walk the night, and for the day confined to fast in fires, till the foul crimes done in my days of nature are burned and purged away. So yeah, it's a little bit of the voice too, which I thought was really interesting. Um, do you know how they did that? No, tell me. So that's actually Lawrence Olivier yeah. doing the voice of his dad, King Hamlet. And basically what happened is um, he whispered and then amplified that whisper and then played it back at a slower speed. So basically to give it this like otherworldly sound. Um, and it, in fact, people were so, I mean, it doesn't sound like Lawrence Olivier. No. And people were so convinced that it wasn't that for years and years and even in like film books, mm. they would credit John Gilgood as mm. this character. Because he actually went on to play the, go- the King Hamlet ghost quite a few times in other adaptations. Um, actually, Lawrence Olivier's bio- biographer uh, talked about the ghost voice effect, and he said he said he made as many as fourteen separate soundtracks to do this voice. Wow. Uh, on one, he had okay. So listen to this. So he put other soundtracks in there with his voice, right? On one, he had recorded fifty women shrieking. On another, the groans of like fifty men. Mm. A third consisted of a dozen violinists scraping their bows across the strings on a single screeching note. These various tracks had to be blended in different volumes and intensity until they produced a noise which seemed to him to resemble uh, the, the, quote, the lid of hell being opened, is mm. what he put, is what he said. Uh, supernatural horror was further increased by the pulsing heartbeat, which you mentioned. Mm-hmm. This sound was actually used, this, this style of sound mm-hmm. was actually used before in a stage production in Paris before this film. Okay. So Olivier um, wanted to... Uh, well, actually, when he when he wanted to use this, he actually wrote to uh, Jean Louis Barreau, who's like the director of the stage production, mm-hmm. and actually asked him permission. And he wanted to pay to use it. Like he's mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to steal your idea. I want to pay you. Uh, but but you know there was no copyright, so Olivier was, you know, pretty scrupulous about borrowing other people's uh, production tricks or even yeah. like other actors' ideas. Like an actor would give him an idea. And Lawrence Levy would be like, oh, I feel bad about using that now. Like, that's your thing. Mm. I mean, we kind of talked about when we talked about Henry V that Olivier kind of had this reputation around actors as being a really nice guy, mm. which I think kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, because you think of guys of the era, especially a guy like Lawrence Olivier, who was so prominent. And, and like, I mean, he wrote and directed this version of Hamlet and starred mm-hmm. in it. So, you know, this is definitely his passion project. I believe uh, Roger Ebert said about this movie, it had uh, called it the narcissistic intensity of Olivier. <laughs> yeah, which, which, yeah. So, like, you hear about all these all these things about him being, like, you know, nice to his fellow actors and stuff and not wanting to steal ideas. Mm. Marlon Brando said he would have felt bad about, about fucking his wife. <laughs> we the only, the only woman. Yeah. <laughs> The only way that I feel bad about it. Not Richard Pryor. That was fine. He fucked Richard Pryor. Fuck a radiator, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, you were talking about the, so the ghost thing is awesome. Like the ghost yeah. thing is really well done, and even the face is like, like I don't even know what that is. No, like what they're doing weird to get that thing, effect. and then they of course they smeared Vaseline all over the lens to give it a weird like blurred look. Yeah, smear that Vaseline, baby. Can we just move forward? That's what Vaseline allows you to do a lot easier. Oh, no. Moving forward. How about you, how about you back the fuck Slick. up? How about you back the fuck up? Slick. 
All right, so movies. <laughs> Is that what we're doing? <laughs> movies, yeah, all of them. Okay, well, start with A. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, so I, this movie has a very traditional approach to Shakespeare, to the costuming, to the look of it. It's very, like... You know, I mean, it's not quite like like uh, frilly collars, but it's pretty close. Like it's kind of Renaissance era looking costumes. So that's the thing I've learned about myself on this podcast is that maybe oh. I don't really like Shakespeare per se all that much. Oh shit! Wah, 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 hot Cause take. I always because I always dread it. I always dread like the idea of going to a Shakespeare play to see it in person, yep. watching it like most of the time. I just because it's like oh it's gonna be so long and there's gonna be so much shit going on and I say that as a person who has been in a couple of Shakespeare related productions I was Greg. in I was in Romeo and Juliet I played the shopkeeper didn't have any lines but I was there wait you played the shopkeeper so when Romeo walked in you said oh hi Romeo I didn't know it was you you're my favorite customer well no I was I guess a shopkeeper cafe owner so I had like a little cafe it was a reference to the room you asshole oh, well, I didn't watch the room I got better things what? to do don't even don't even start with me no we're doing that one and um. Okay, I'm, okay. I yes, I was in. I was in that, and then I'll have you know this was not a Shakespeare play, but in a, in a play by Cape Breton playwright Anne Marie McDonald. I Anne Murray. No, Anne Marie McDonald. Okay. In a play called Good Night Desdemona, Good Morning Juliet, I was the first, the best, and I sure hope the only white Othello in Nova Scotia history. Please tell me you didn't don any. No, no, no. We didn't go that far. <laughs> okay. Thankfully, I'm, I'm glad that my my drama teacher was smart enough to know not to go that far. <laughs> Uh, well, um, okay, so we know that Jason didn't wear blackface. That's good. I won't have to cancel this podcast Thank in a you. few months. Thank you. I know that if I ever run for politics, I'm in the clear. <laughs> um, did you notice that Claudia sounds like a British rip-torn? <laughs> I didn't. He's got a real, like, rasp to his voice. It sounds very rip-torny. Rip-torny? Yeah. I did not notice. Mm. I will, I, one thing I did notice, though... This is a Shakespeare film. No. It is a Shakespeare film. <laughs> I was trying to segue into something completely different. And <laughs> what it didn't else work. I noticed, though, was Podcoin. <laughs> no, dead as a doornail. <laughs> Can we talk about Lawrence Olivier a little bit? The okay. man. We yeah. did talk about him a little bit. The man, the myth, the legend. Let's talk about him a little more. Sure. The thing about Lawrence Olivier, is that, and this is what another actor said about him, an actor named William Redfield. Mm. He said about Lawrence Olivier, he said, Ironically enough, Lawrence is less gifted than Marlon Brando. He's even less gifted. He's less gifted than Richard Burton, Paul Schofield, Ralph Richardson, and J- John Gilgood. But he is still the definitive actor of the 20th century. Why? Because he wanted to be. His achievements are due to dedication, scholarship, practice, determination, and courage. He's the bravest actor of our time. So Lawrence Olivier was always kind of, you know, we. Mm. The joke is like, oh, well, your acting wasn't exactly Lawrence Olivier, you know yeah. what I mean? So he's held up as this great actor. Mm. But a lot of people said he was a great actor, but he was not naturally gifted. Mm. He's a guy that really, 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 really had to work at it. There's some people that come come through, yeah. and they just got it. Yeah. And apparently Olivier is just not one of those guys. Well, as I understand, he was kind of like, that was his dad's decision that he become an actor. His dad was a pastor. Yeah, he it didn't come even, from an acting family. It wasn't even his passion. Yeah, like he could have been like like a bunch of like John Gilgood said he could have been a statesman. He could have been anything else. Mm. Like, could have been a statesman, Olivier, Senator Olivier. Could have been a contender ultimately, but you weren't. You it's were not a dirty acted. Not your night. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he okay. And Olivier also said um, about his own acting. He got, he kind of said, "I can never act as myself. I have to have a pillow up my up my jumper, a false nose." 
or a mustache or a wig. I cannot come on looking like someone else or looking like me and be someone else. I've seen by the boys from Brazil. He had a mustache in that movie. There you go. And he does look different in this. I mean, he has blonde hair. Yeah. So. I sure hope he was in that movie. I swear he was in that movie. The boys from Brazil. Yeah. Is that the sequel to the Terry Gilliam film that we talked about? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It uh, it is where Sam goes and uh, he ends up cloning Hitler. Yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) Um, You mentioned, you want want to talk about maybe uh, Hamlet's relationship with his mother as it's presented in this film? Because they push a little harder in this film, I think. Yeah, some films do, some films don't. They they take the different approach to it. But yeah, well, because I mean, especially when she like gets down and gives him a like, full on couple of kisses on the mouth. Oh, it's a real long kiss. Yeah, and, and even did you her notice? Tits are kind of shoved in his face. <laughs> did you notice that when she does that, there's even a little moment where Claudius is just like, uh, "Okay, let's, yeah, exactly. Let's, let's, let's move go, along. babe. Move along. <laughs> uh, you're." You're still my wife, and that's still your son. Well, something may have been rotten in Denmark, but stuff was always hot in Denmark, I'll tell you that. Oh, wow. Just like, is that, wait, is that a, a spinoff of the show Hot in Cleveland? The, yes, Hot in Denmark. The the hit show. On... It's about four old Danish ladies and the sons that are trying to fuck them. <laughs> wait, wait, why am I thinking of a thing that's like um, f- four ladies and the men who love them? What is that? Is that something? I mean, yeah, probably. One lady and the man who loved her. Anyway, it just it that sounded like you were doing a play off that for some reason. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was just thinking of like like what, what would uh, what would uh, Shakespearean Golden Girls look like? <laughs> and if we had a party, <laughs> you have to write that whole page. And invited every shrew ye knew, <laughs> ye would see the biggest gift would be from thou, and the card attached would. Read, you've been convicted of stealing, so now you are going to be hung, because that's how the old times worked. I believe the proper word is hanged, Brendan. Quartered. Oh, we could do that too. But, but, but yeah, back to this movie. We had our fun silliness here. We did. Uh, but back to this movie. Gotta mm. say, we talked about the camera movements. Um, especially in the the play within a play scene, mm-hmm. which is of all the scenes in the movie, that's the one you would expect to be the most still, because you, there's just a bunch of people watching a play. But the camera doesn't stop moving. It's like it's like the guy who watched. Uh, uh, it's like the guy who made Behind Enemy Lines saw this one scene and said, "That's how you make a movie. You just spin the camera around the fucking room." I want to. I want someone to do a count. How many episodes <laughs> you've done where you've referenced that fucking movie? I've referenced this movie more than anyone has in the last. 20 years I will I will sit on this chair right now and I will stay say for the record I will stay I'm gonna stay here okay I will say for the record that I don't think anyone has ever said Hamlet and then in the span of like less than a minute also mentioned behind enemy lines I think you're the first ever I think so I'm and I'm proud to have that honor unless it was behind enemy lines is no Hamlet well well, yeah sure (laughs) I feel like that may have been said at the time Oh, uh, maybe we should just talk about that movie on the other podcast. Oh. Hey, I'm down. I'm down if you want to do it. I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater and saw that couple making out while uh, Owen Wilson fell into the mass grave. So it'd be good to see it again. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a hot uh, scene. Here's the other thing about Shakespeare, Brendan. He's old. He's very old. Uh, Shakespeare is like the King James Bible. In that, it's from kind of the same era. Okay. But in that, the the words, the phrases... The idea is so much of it has is completely integrated in the culture of the English speaking world for the last four or five hundred years. Like it's it's crazy, and it was funny. Like I've, I've 
I've, I've seen the to be or not to be speech. I've read it a million times. I've seen it a million times in various things. But for some reason, watching it with Lawrence, Lawrence of Olivier. Lawrence of Olivier. <laughs> Lawrence of Olivier. Watching Lawrence Olivier give this speech, it almost felt like, in my mind, he was just like rattling off titles of stuff. You know, it's just like, it's like, uh, to sleep, perchance to dream, shuffle off this mortal coil. Like, you just keep saying, like, there's such iconic phrases by themselves. And that's no fault of Shakespeare or... or I mean, that's just because we've heard it so many times. It's just because we've heard it so many times, and it's just so strange to hear what... It just sounds like he's rattling off episodes, like, like titles of Star Trek episodes (laughs) in what is a monologue. Mm -hmm. But it's still great. Should we listen to some of it? Yeah, let's hear hear him doing this classic... One of the most famous pieces of writing in the English language. One of those famous speeches you could ever hear. Here we go. Well, Jason, here's the thing. Ah. I don't have it. So in, so, let's, so to the question of to be or not to be, you chose to not to be. Not to be. But how about this? I will give, I will do you one close. Are you going to recite the speech? Uh, Whether this is noble as... No, I'm not going to do that. That's like, but I will, I will play um, another famous speech he gives, Alas, poor York. I do have oh, that. So I knew him, Horatio. Let's listen to a little bit of that. A man of infinite jest. Alas, poor York. I knew him, Horatio, a fellow of infinite jest, of most excellent fancy. He hath borne me on his back a thousand times. And now, how abhorred in my imagination it is, my gorge rises it. Here hung those lips that I have kissed I know not how oft. Where be your jibes now? Your songs, your gambols, your flashes of merriment that were wont to set the table on a roar. Not one now to mock your own grinning, quite chop-fallen. Now get you to my lady's chamber. Tell her, let her paint an inch thick. To this favor she must come. Make her laugh at that. So that's, you know, that is one of the other famous speeches. Um, What I really like about that, though, I want to mention is that for me, yes, there are moments where he kind of, you know, he gets intense and he gets Mm. screaming and stuff. But I find, like, the monologues he does and, like, when he's talking to people, I don't find his acting hammy. No, again, it goes down with he knows what he's saying. He knows how to say it. He's saying it in a genuine way and in a way that's not, like, he's, he's doing a scene for film. He's not doing it for stage. Yeah, he, he's doing it. There's a lot of actors, even in like the Henry V one that we saw with Olivier, I still felt there was a few actors in that in that movie that were kind of acting like it was a stage play. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there's a couple in here, like here and there, that kind of give off that vibe too. But It's to be expected, I think, with any Shakespearean production. Right, but like Olivier knows exactly the right level to play it at in a film, and I think that's such a rare thing, especially in an older movie. Like even in older movies that are not... Mm originally stage plays you see it's like that old st- old movie style acting yeah. where it's like oh heavens we're ever so late we're going to be late for the party darling it's like it's like yeah. it's, it's so he he's kind of ahead of his time yeah and then i'm it, i wonder if it's like a reaction against how he went about doing henry the fifth where it was where it was intentionally theatrical because you know to the point where the movie's book ended by it literally taking place on stage and being performed to an audience at the globe theater at the time yeah, this is a very different... This is a more traditional way of doing a Shakespeare film. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, I still think it's... It, we talk about it, it's very cinematic, but yes. it's it's more of a traditional, like, we're just going to present this as a movie. We're not going to have this little wraparound with the yeah. Globe Theater and all that stuff. No. It is what it is. Yep. 
There you go. Do you don't need anything else? It is what it is. It the is play is the thing. That's right, folks. The conscience of the king. Uh, what was I going to say? Can we talk about Ophelia? Sure. Yeah, Gene Simmons. Young Gene Simmons looking very young with her pigtails. She's pretty. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. very pretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. No. No, I was going to say, um, the thing about Gene Simmons is uh, I do, I do want to play a little clip of her, too, when she starts to like lose her mind. Because she also does an interesting thing in that when she's kind of losing it, she also doesn't come across to me as super fake or stagey. Like, I feel like she's really losing her mind. Mm. Um, let's just listen for a sec. Alas, look here, my lord. Which bewept to the grave did go With true love showers How do you, pretty lady? Well, God heal you. <laughs> they say the owl was a baker's daughter. <laughs> oh. oh, Lord, we know what we are, but know not what we may be. God be at your table. So, yeah, I find her breakdown kind of realistic. And, I mean, th- you guys didn't see it because it's uh, it was very obviously a visual thing, but mm. she gives her brother a very fuck me eyes at the yeah. end there, I thought. <laughs> She really does. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's kind of a theme that runs through this movie, the incest. Lawrence <laughs> Olivier, you perv. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's I think it's heavily implied in the Shakespeare text. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and like I say, it's usually it depends on whether the director wants to play it up or just kind of ignore it. I mean, kudos to, like, kudos to Olivier for kind of uh, getting away with this in 1948. Like, ah, incest was fine back then. Oh, okay. That's a fact. How do you think we won the war? You think it was all because we had a deep gene pool? No, it's because we had lots of kids. And how do we get those kids? You don't want to know. We won the war because of incest? Yes. Oh. That's a fact. Huh. Read it. Wow. Yeah. I also really like Ophelia's uh, death scene, too, because it's done very, like, subtly. And you just kind of see her, like, floating in the water. And then you just kind of look. It cuts away. The narrator says something about, you know, her death. And Mm. then we kind of cut back and she's not there anymore. Yeah. It's, yeah, the classic dumper in the water. And it's interesting. <laughs> His haircut uh, was interesting. I thought it was funny with the blonde hair because I thought he'd look like how Ric Flair probably would have looked if he'd have gone with the Spartacus gimmick back in the herd days at WCW. Yeah. So he would have been Lawrence Olivier. Yeah, he would have been Lawrence Olivier. That would have been his gimmick. That was, so do you think they would have done like uh, one of those like celebrity guest spots at like uh, Starcade or something with Lawrence Olivier coming in as like his manager? I think I think Sir Lawrence Olivier was dead by that point, but uh, you know what? Uh, uh, I think he lived. Sky Captain the, in the World of Tomorrow proved that doesn't matter, so think, they could have. I think he lived till the mid nineties. No, I think he died in nineteen eighty nine. You'll find eighty nine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it could have been the last thing he did before he died to really to truly have a lasting legacy. Yeah, it should have been. Actually, what what would have been better is if uh, Ric Flair had showed up in the middle of the wrestling ring and started doing the "to be or not to be" speech. And Lawrence Fans would have loved it. And then, and then you hear, he's just an American male. And Lawrence Olivier <laughs> comes out and he's like, hold on one second there. You mean he's been wheeled out? <laughs> no, Lawrence no sells that shit. That's right. No, hold just... on one second there, Mr. Flair. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why is he like South Midland sound? Hold like, on Mr. there Flair. one second, Mr. It's me. From Lincolnshire. Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> and I'm here to say, I'm the baddest mother in the whole US of A. <laughs> Yeah, hey. and now he's Australian because my accent yeah, changed exactly. five times. Um, 
But yeah, that's probably what would happen. <laughs> think we could get, think we could convince Ric Flair to star in a Hamlet production? I mean, he'll do anything for money. That's now. right. <laughs> he has a lot of bills to pay and ex-wives to pay. To little feed. long, little longer on stage, whole lot less bumps. <laughs> um, of what? <laughs> hey, <laughs> we'll see how this kind of. Uh... We'll see how this goes. No, but you mentioned Olivier's legacy, and unfortunately, he uh, he he closed out his legacy with a little film called The Jazz Singer in 1980, where he basically is wearing um, I'm going to say Jew face. Oh, he's basically playing an old Jewish man. Is he going all out with a voice like this? Oh, it's the Uh, most stereotypical thing you've ever seen. He's doing Woody Allen. No, I'm just doing Woody Allen. He's 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 doing like. If Woody Allen was trying to do a stereotypical Jewish voice, <laughs> oh god, yeah, it's it's the most like it's almost like if I was Jewish, I'd probably be offended by it. You got if you just put your put on some blackface, and people will take you seriously. No, that's what Neil Diamond does in that movie. Yeah, I know, I know, I've heard of it. Um, but I mean, I want to get into uh, a little bit of the critique of the movie. But before we do that, do you have anything else you want to add uh, before we do? That? Uh, I like that they actually showed a little bit of Hamlet's uh, voyage to England because in the play, famously, that's that skipped over. It's like he goes yeah. and then he comes back. Uh, but you, we see a little bit of it. We see the ships clashing and whatever, and he gives a little bit of narration and fills us in on what exactly happened on his trip. Very Errol Flynn. Yeah. Very yeah. like uh, Adventures of Robin Hood from the 30s. Yes. And I believe, and I may be crazy, I haven't read the play, but there is a play called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, and it follows, basically it's a parallel play by Tom Stoppard to this play, mm-hmm. and the idea is like, just what are they doing the whole play? And I guess, I think that's included too, because in the in the original play, uh, they're the ones that take him to England. They're sent to escort him there. Right. Yeah, I, and, then, just, and then they disappear. I just like the idea of like a parallel play of, of like Rosencrantz being like, hey, wait a second, whatever happened to us? Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Let's find out our story. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's when you mentioned the, the pirate ship scene where they're attacked by pirates and you see him fighting it for a bit. That was cool. And I also really liked the... The final sword fight scene, yeah. you know, the yes. climactic scene, was really well shot, very well choreographed, very well choreographed, and felt like, like again, a little bit ahead of its time, and very like swashbuckling, Errol Flynn, charming. Like, but it, it looked like a legit foil fight. I don't know what yeah. what the what a legit fight looks like for those sorts of weapons, but it looked like a legit fight. Like that they were actually. It wasn't like over. It wasn't like you were watching a Star Wars movie and they were fighting with lightsabers, and it's been so over choreographed that it's like, yeah, there's no way anybody would fight like that. Yeah, but this looked like it could have actually happened, and I guess it kind of did because they filmed it. They should have just naked wrestled. Oh, like uh, women in love. Wouldn't that have uh, given them quite the box office bump? Oh boy, I don't know if I I don't think it would be released. Uh, yeah, but yeah, no. This uh, there's a cool final shot in this movie. A nice silhouette at the end of it. It's a they... very like it's a very like the last shot is really empty because mm. it's the bed and there's no one in the there's no one in the bedroom. It's almost like this is what's left. Yeah, like Hamlet's. I mean, I feel like the play probably paints a little more gray picture of Hamlet because in this one he just seems like a good guy. Mm. I mean, he fakes his madness. But he's also, yeah, I was gonna he, say he's a little bit crazy. But he fakes going mad though. He fakes going mad, but he also, I think he's going a little bit mad for real because he saw a ghost. But like, everybody saw the ghost at the beginning. Well, a couple of them did, not everybody. But I mean, are they, they're not all going mad. They might be going a little crazy thinking they saw a ghost. I, I think, okay, here, I'll give you this. I think at the beginning he there is a legitimate ghost, and I think everybody sees it. Maybe Shakespeare purists right now listen to this and be like, what the fuck are I'm, you I'm talking not, I'm about? not saying he's crazy because he saw the ghost. I'm saying he's he's maybe going a little mad because the very fact that he did see a ghost. The idea that yeah. he saw a legit ghost. That's going to fuck with anyone's head. But I think, <laughs> but here's the thing. I think later, 
when he's having this confrontation with his mother, mm. um, which actually I'm going to play in a second, but he's having this confrontation with his mother and he sees, uh, he sees the ghost again. Mm. This time we as the audience don't see it. No. So it's just him seeing it. So I think in that moment, we see we see indication of it in a hallway, and then it pans over to his mother. And when it pans back, that doorway is empty. Right. So I think in that moment, maybe yeah. he's he's losing his mind. Yeah. So actually, I do want to play a little bit of that freakout scene. This is after uh, Hamlet has uh, hears someone in the curtains while he's mm-hmm. talking to his mother about how Claudius has killed you know his father, her husband. Her ex, her, her ex-husband, because he's dead. Yes. And uh, he stabs the person that's in the curtains and thinking that it's Claudius. And lo and behold, it is Polonius, Ophelia's father. He doesn't really care that he killed Polonius. No. But uh, let's just uh, play a little bit of that clip here. Leave ringing at the hands. Please sit you down and let me wring your heart. For so I shall if it be made of penitable stuff. What have I done that thou darest wag thy tongue and noise rude against Such me? Such an act that blurs the grace and blush of modesty, calls virtue hypocrite, takes off the rose from the fair forehead of an innocent love and sets a blister there, makes marriage vows as false as dice as old. Be water! Look here upon this picture and on this. The counterfeit presentment of two brothers. See what a grace was seated on this brow. An eye like Mars to threaten and command. A statue like the herald Mercury new lighted on a heaven-kissing hill. A combination and a form indeed where every god did seem to set his seal to give the world assurance of a man. This was your husband. Look you now what follows. Here is your husband like a mildewed ear blasting his wholesome brother. Have you eyes? You cannot call it love for at your age the heyday and the blood is tame. It's humble and waits upon the judgment. And what judgment would step from this to this? What devil was that thus hath hoodwinked you? Oh, shame, where is thy blush? If hell can rise up in a matron's bones to flaming youth, let virtue be as well. Oh, Hamlet, speak no more. Thou turnst mine eyes into my very soul, and there I see such black and grained spots as will not lose their stain. Nay, but to live in the rank sweat of a lascivious bed, stewed in corruption, <laughs> hurrying and making love over the nasty oh, sky. to me no more. These words like daggers enter in my ears no more, sweet Hamlet. A murderer and a villain, a slave that is not twentieth part the worth of your true lord, a cutpurse of the empire and the throne that from a shelf the precious diadem stolen put it in his no pocket. A king of sleds and passes. Oh, and that little heartbeat at the end is the return of the ghost. Mm-hmm. I just think that's a really good scene. It's a really oh, good it's scene. it's intense as fuck. And that, see, that is a moment where Olivier has to get a little more intense mm-hmm. and over the top. But it's not over the top. It no. feels, still feels real to me. And he's able to, you know, and he's able to manage that dialogue, spit it out, and, and get it out in a way that's believable and intense. And yeah, you can't, it's just the, the talent of this guy and, yeah. and the people in this movie is phenomenal. And I guess I just didn't notice it as much in Henry V because everyone was kind of acting theatrical. Mm. Um, but this movie made, really made me take notice of, you know what Jason this movie really made me take notice I think this Lawrence Olivier guy pretty good actor I think he's got a real future ahead of him I think so I think you know we get him uh, get, pair him up with Neil Diamond yeah, we've got ourselves some, a hit some blackface <laughs> make him a Jewish person a recipe for success mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well Jason uh, shall we talk about the, uh, the, the critique of the film and maybe sure. the reception of the film sure well, I don't have a whole lot of a uh, don't have a whole lot of uh, critics reviews, I guess. You didn't you didn't pour through the papers of the era trying to find them. <laughs> no, the only one I had was that really one about Milton Shulman. Yeah. Um, but again, again, like I was saying, it it was mixed reaction at the time when it yeah. came out. Um, the budget of this movie was five hundred twenty seven point five thousand pounds. 
Which, I mean, who knows sure. how much. That yeah. could be worth a, a billion dollars a day for all we know. <laughs> uh, and I don't have a box office number, but in U.S. rentals, it garnered about $3.25 million. So it did make its money back so through once, theater rentals. Once yeah. it came out on, like... Uh, uh, Blu-ray and Laserdisc. Yeah, exactly. They had it at their local blockbuster. All right. So let's let's get into the Oscars, Jason. Sure. This film goes to the Oscars. I'll tell you what it's nominated for first. All right. So it's nominated for Best Director. Okay. Does not... Or Olivier does not win. The winner that year is John Huston for one of my favorite movies, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Oh. The, it's nominated for Best Score. The winner of that year is a movie we still haven't done yet, but it's on the list called The Red Shoes. Okay. Powell and Pressburger Joint. That's how they. That's yep. how every film is credited. Powell and Pressburger Joint. Um, and then Best Supporting Actress, Gene Simmons is nominated. The winner of that year, though, is Claire Trevor for a, a movie I really like called Key Largo. It's oh. a cool Humphrey Bogart flick. Key Largo, Montego, baby, why don't we go down to Kokomo? It's Humphrey Bogart we'll and uh, Edward G. Robinson. We'll take it slow. Ah, see? There, <laughs> there we go. I was go. for that. Uh, the, win- the wins that it has, though, Jason. Oh, the wins! Best costume design, black yeah, and white. Okay. Yeah. So keep in mind, oh. best costume design, black and white. This is a separate category because this is still in the year where there's color films and there's black and white. Well, films. I mean, and it's interesting that he went to do he did this black and white movie after he'd already done the the color uh, Henry V, which so. was older. Which was older, yeah. absolutely. Uh, best art direction, black and white, and it wins. Best lead actor for Laurence Olivier. The other nominees that year include Lou Ayers, Montgomery uh, for Belinda. Mm. Or for Johnny Belinda, sorry. Okay. Uh, Montgomery Clift for uh, The Search. Yeah. Dan Daly for When My Baby Smiles at Me. Okay. And Clifton Webb for Sitting Pretty. I don't think I've heard of but any of But despite all those powerhouse performances, <laughs> Lawrence Olivier pulls it out. Um, it wins Best Picture. Nice. It wins Best Picture. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, the other nominees include Johnny Belinda. Okay. The Snake Pit. Oh. Uh, the Red Shoes, which mm-hmm. is that movie that we're going to do eventually. And again, my my, uh, my fave, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Uh, I think Treasure of the Sierra Madre should have won, but hey, what are you going to do? It's a bogey movie, so. Yeah. It wins, so it wins Best Picture. Um, It also goes to the BAFTAs. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really get a whole lot, hmm. which is interesting because it's Hamlet. But yeah. I feel like this is where the backlash from maybe not staying as true to the play mm. as possible hurt them a little bit. Because, I mean, the, the British folks, right? They want yeah. the Shakespeare. They're very particular. Yeah. So at the back, there was no uh, spokesperson saying, uh, well, Lawrence has got enough nominations this time. <laughs> no, 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 nobody went on a Mike Lee rampage. But uh, at the, the BAFTAs, it's nominated for Best British Film. Does not win for Best British Film, but it wins for Best Film from any source. Okay. <laughs> so they're like, eh, it's not our best film, but mm. it's the best film. In the whole world, it's the best film. Yeah. And the guy organizing it is a, a Jewish stereotype. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. That's who Lawrence Livy was inspired by. <laughs> oh, shit. The jazz singer all makes sense now. Five all stars. coming together. Five stars. So, Jason, this was Hamlet. Yes. 1948. Yes, it was. Um, what are you saying? What are you saying? God damn it. Watching Shakespeare is can be so painful. And and despite the fact that there's clearly so much talent involved in this movie, this was a slog for me. And it's not that I dislike this movie. I don't think of this movie like I think of The English Patient. Because it'd be hard to think that there'd be any other movie on this list that I'd think about like The English Patient. But it's just... Again, it, it goes back to that feeling of sitting in school and watching a movie. Like, yeah. And the thing is, Brendan, is that as we mentioned earlier, there are a lot of other different versions of Hamlet. And for my money, 
and I, I know I just complained about this movie being long, but for Mel my Gibson. money, no, no, We're no. So, Mel Gibson's the best Hamlet. That's, I got that's, you. You heard it here for here that seems first, like folks. A cool, from what I've seen of that, that's a cool looking movie. But no, uh, the 1996 Kenneth Branagh Hamlet, which I assure you is minimum four hours long, <laughs> but it is the complete text uh, with a few like they they did a few different modifications depending on which version of Hamlet it was from. The first quattro or the second quattro. Kenneth Branagh, you son of a bitch. But uh, they they did a, a a complete version of Hamlet, and it stars a who's who of actors in the early or in the mid '90s of, of of everybody from Jack Lemmon and, and 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 Kenneth Branagh himself. Everybody is in this movie. Just those two guys. It's everybody. Just those two. Charlton no, Rob, Heston's in it. Charlton Heston is in it. Uh, I think he plays the 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 king in the play. Robin the, Williams is in it. Robin Julie. Williams plays Osric, who, as we know in this movie, was played by Peter Cushing. And oh, he doesn't play it quite as foppish. We didn't really mention, but Peter Cushing as Osric definitely coded as gay. Oh, totally, totally. And, and just interesting to see this guy play a role like that because I know him as the the mean guy that ran the Death Star. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to see him do that was was cool. But yeah, no, absolutely. Like like, like you, you can't go wrong with the cast in the nineties. Six, uh, Hamlet. I think Julie Christie too. Julie Christie's probably in there. I wouldn't be surprised. She is. Yeah. I haven't. Did she play the queen? Maybe. I believe so. I haven't seen the movie in a lot of years, but watch that one. The one's also cool because it's set in like 19th century, uh, well, 19th century Denmark, I assume. So everybody's got rifles and shit. It's really cool. In the Kenneth uh, Branagh one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's a little more modern take on on it. I, I also like the uh, the 2000 Ethan Hawke starring one, which is much more modern. Where Train spotting. Yeah, that's the one. Where uh, <laughs> that's not even Ethan. Hawke. He's not even in that movie. Ethan Ewan. What's the difference? Whatever. No, that 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 one recasts the um, the like. Cat uh, Castle Elsinore as a corporation, and his dad is the CEO, and gets bumped off. And Do they still use the same dialogue? Yeah, it's it's like it is. I mean, it's obviously heavily edited because I think it's only yeah. about two hours long. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it does. But like when he gives that to be or not to be speech in a video store while filming himself on a camcorder, it's it's that speech, right? And that's a cool version of it. But uh, like I say, if you're gonna watch Hamlet, this one is it's it's interesting. It's fascinating. It, it's pioneering. It is. <laughs> I mentioned to Brendan earlier. I was going to use Tomb Raider as an example. So uh, I'm excited for this. I so Tomb Raider 1997 was a, a video game that blew blew up. It was huge. It was massive. It was a it was a big big deal because it was pioneering third person interactive video game. You got to play this character Lara Croft. You got to go on all these adventures. It was really cool. They made a bunch of sequels to it. But the thing is, is that if you look back at that game, despite the fact how fucking you know revolutionary it was and how big a deal it was you look back at that game now it's very quaint and it's the kind of thing that you don't really have any interest in playing because it's not really fun to play especially because they've made better Tomb Raider games since then more recently in 2012 they started to reboot those games take those original ideas take that story and they just you know take it off into a new direction that makes it way more interesting and I feel like with Hamlet it's kind of that way where Hamlet is it was the first like really you know the first true true film version I'll say because it was British right so the British would think that they would make the first proper first English version the first English version of Hamlet on film and so that was laying a lot of the groundwork it had to take its own risks and its own cuts Mm -hmm. and it is a a fine piece of filmmaking but it just I just it didn't entertain me no Despite the, like I say, despite all the talent of everybody involved, it did not entertain me, mm-hmm. and and I would feel like anybody would be better served watching the Kenneth Branagh version, suffering through the whole four hours and getting the whole text, and being able to enjoy this vast cast of people, most of whom you probably know. Mm-hmm. 
uh, unless you're like us and watch a lot of like old British movies, you probably have no idea who most of these people are were, or most of these people in this movie were. And I honestly didn't know who most of them were, but we yeah. knew a few. It's kind of fun too, just to see some of these people come up again in different movies. Mm. Now that we've kind of like, because before this, I didn't know who half these people were. Yeah, I mean, no. Lawrence Olivier, and then basically everybody else in this film, I couldn't tell you who they were. Yeah, but, but before before you know. We started this podcast. Could I have told you who Stanley Holloway was? No, I could tell you who Alfred Doolittle was. I couldn't tell you who Margaret Rutherford yeah. was. Like, there's all Alistair Batterly. I, I mean, I know you you probably knew him as Scrooge. I didn't know mm. who Alistair Sim was. Mm. Like, so I mean, there's lots of cool things like that. Yeah. I'm 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 on the fence about this one. Yeah. Um, I do agree with you. This one was a little tougher to set through. It was a little tougher than Henry V. Yeah. And Henry V was even like the Olivier one was even one where I was still kind of like it's it's. It's I appreciate it, but it's a little tough. I think the thing with Henry V, though, was that it was this whole conceptual package. Like they that really, helped. they really had a very specific vision of what it was going to be. Whereas I feel like Hamlet was like, well, we're going to do Hamlet, yeah, and we're just, we're going to do it. And and you know, obviously they had to make a few changes, but they did it. Mm-hmm. And there it is, and it's out there for everybody. And now we have countless versions of Hamlet. We've got the Lion King. Yeah, we can watch those now. But and it's all thanks to this. We've got two of them. Yeah, we got two of them. We two watch Lion them again. Kings. You can watch Lion King one and a half. Is there any other Lion, Lion King? King two? Is there, Lion Kings? Is there any other Hamlets that Jeremy Irons are in? Is in? He must have been in it once. Uh, Jeremy's Iron. I'd call him. I don't know. <laughs> I, I wish I could do a Jeremy Irons. Hello. I don't know. <laughs> Hello. I'm Jeremy Irons. Simba. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I. I mean, like I. Yeah, I had a little bit of a hard time. I mean, there was so it was such a beautiful looking movie that I wasn't like fully ever like, you know, I wasn't like falling asleep or anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, like the English Patient, um, but yeah. or Women in Love at times. No, I, I was not. I, I yawned a couple times, but not like the English Patient. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? Let's be let's be a little let's be a little harsh here, Jason. We've mm-hmm. got two Shakespeare's on this list. Yeah. We've got Henry the Fifth, and we've got uh, Hamlet. I think we're both in agreement. If it's just between these two. Yeah. We keep Henry V, right? We keep Henry V, yeah. Now, and my suggestion, we knock off the Laurence Olivier version, we put in the Kenneth That's Bono what version. I was going to say. So, But then you don't have any Olivier on the British Film Institute Top 100 list, which I think is kind of crazy. No, I say we I say we keep Henry V. Oh, okay. Keep Henry V, but knock off the Olivier Hamlet uh, and replace it with the Brown Hamlet. Okay, so keep the Olivier Henry, yeah. but knock off Hamlet and put Branagh's Hamlet yeah, on. Yeah, because Branagh deserves a place on there. Okay. I mean, if I'm he down. doesn't already, I'm down. I mean, having never seen Brano's Hamlet, I'm still down. Okay, <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, I think it's crazy to not have any Olivier on this yeah, list. Like no, he's a, a staple of British everything. A legend. He's a, a legend. legend. Yeah, he should be on the BFI and the AFI. Quite mm, frankly. Mm. Uh, so here's my uh, my campaign for the 1980 jazz singer continues. We're getting AFI. that on the AFI list. Make it happen. <laughs> Neil Diamond finally get his place in the sun. As Darth Vader would say, make it so. Coming to America. Starring Eddie Murphy. That's a different movie, isn't it? <laughs> Coming I, to uh, America. I gotta see that movie. I heard that movie's great. Jason, we have so many movies to watch. I know, I know. Um, well, yeah, so I mean, yeah, I say I say I think that's a good I think that's a good solution. I mean Jason. there's worse there's worse ways to spend your day. I mean you could watch that remake of uh, Doctor Zhivago for sure. But oh. uh, That would be at the rock bottom of this list yeah. if there was if it was on this list yeah. at all. Yeah, probably. Although, I don't know. I mean, I might rather watch it than English Patient again. I don't know. I don't... That's a tough one. I don't know. Because English Patient's really pretty. It's got that going for it. And, and, the, fish, have, and the fish hook. And, and, the, and the guy from Lost. And the guy from Lost. <laughs> uh, Matthew Fox. <laughs> 
Is he in there? No, it's the other guy, Naveen Andrews. Oh, there we go, yeah. They look alike, sort of. Right, right, I forgot. Naveen Andrews and Lost. One sorry. You mean Naveen Andrews from Planet Terror? Sure. All right. Is he in that? Yeah, I okay. think so. Okay. <laughs> he plays Rose McGowan. That's right. Does a very good job. I believed it. <laughs> Super hot. Um, so, Jason, now we've come to the point on the show where we are going to roll the dice. And this is a very special rolling of the dice because this is our last movie before we do our rankings again. Woo! It's that time again, folks. Because we are hitting movie number 40 now. That's right. So it's my turn to roll. It is. And I'm very excited. I'm going to give you this list. You better. I'm going to give you this list. Here you go. I need to be prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared. By the way, speaking of the Lion Kings, the the new version of Be Prepared, tremendous disappointment. No, that's unfortunate. Barely did the song. I was very upset. Is it uh, Idris Elba that plays Scar in this movie? Uh, I believe it's Chiwetel Ejiofor. Oh, uh, yes. I I enjoy him as well. Yes. Uh, But there's just something about Jeremy Irons' voice. Yeah, I wish they could. Honestly, it would have been nice to just have Jeremy Irons. He's still alive. He could have done it. Yeah. Maybe they forgot he was alive. I mean, like I say, no problem with with, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. I'm not trying to mangle your name, man, but... Because yeah, I loved, I loved him. I loved him in the Serenity, and I'm glad you addressed him because yeah. he's definitely listening. Right I now. hope so. I hope he is. I hope he likes our we have takes like on a, British movies. And we have like one secret celebrity listener. Ooh, who could it be? It's like it's like uh, uh, Devin Devin Sawa. Devin Sawa and Corey Feldman get together on weekends and listen to our podcast. <laughs> I would love Hi, it. Hi guys. So um, yeah, so the dice. So I'm gonna roll the dice and to see what number on the BFI Top 100 we're gonna talk about next week. And then the following week, we're going to do our rankings as a second 20 films. So we've still got 60 movies on this list or so that are yeah. available, but uh, we could hit one we already did, so we'll just watch it again. Yeah! Or maybe re-roll. Uh, I could watch English Patient again. Yeah, let's see. All right, so uh, to, you know, to create the little suspense here, I'm going to roll the 10s D10, and, the, and then the 1s D10. All right, let's see where we're at. where we are at in the list. 70! 70-something. 70-something. We got a, we got a, it is wide open. Oh, okay. Almost. There's like two movies we've done in the 70s. So let's, let's see if I can roll that. Yep. 72. That would be Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Okay. Uh, directed uh, by Sam Wood, 1939. Ooh, one of our oldest ones here. So hopefully it's a short one. Uh, yeah. We'll I don't see. know. We'll, we'll <laughs> see, I guess. I don't really know anything about this other than I think it's about a teacher who looks back on his sort of uh, teaching career. Yeah, uh, that's all I know. They call me Mr. Chips. Starring Sidney Poitier. I hope so. And That'd Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> it'd be a very young Sidney Poitier, I think, in 1939. I think it'd be a very not alive yet Sidney Poitier. <laughs> <laughs> Considering In the Heat of the Night was like 67. Hold on. Hold on. Hey Siri, when was Sidney Poitier born? Sidney Poitier was born the 20th of February, 1927, and is 92 years old. So he would have been 12. Sidney Poitier is what Sydney your phone Sidney Poitier. It's my Irish uh, iPhone. It, uh, it mispronounces things because it's kind of stupid. Not because it's I- Irish, but because it's an iPhone. Mm. The Irish iPhone. It's the iPhones made by the Irish? Uh, I think they've had some influence. Okay. All right. So next week, goodbye, Mr. Chips. Hello, Vietnam. Dolly. Oh. Thought it was Good Morning Vietnam. No, you know the song, Kiss Me Goodbye and Write Me While I'm Gone. Goodbye, my sweetheart. Hello, Vietnam.
You know that, you know, America has heard the bugles call. You've seen that movie. You've seen Full Metal Jacket. You know that song. I don't remember the song. Ah, you're an asshole. Well, Jason, (laughs) that wraps up our conversation (laughs) this week. Uh, I'm glad we could end on that note. Yep, absolutely. Um, You can follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen. And Country. You can also find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can also find Jason on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And you can uh, watch him tweet about uh, all, all the... F- all the classic films and how much he hates them. That's right. We're going to go through. It's, it's Hate Watch 2020. Yeah. More ways than one, folks, but let's not get political. <laughs> so with all that being said, Jason, talk about goodbye, Mr. Chips, next week. We but will. until then, I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. For Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. To be or not to be. That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or by taking up arms against a sea of troubles by opposing end them. Close to enough. sleep, perchance to dream, shuffle off this mortal coil, uh, too short a season, uh, uh, hero worship, uh, all good things. Uh, uh, balance of terror because stone cold said so Let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one last plot holes a gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Steven Izzy At eilfm.podbean.com